KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, happy Saturday. Hey, we're back to fall temperatures again. My golly, we've got a wonderful Saturday coming up today. And we have two hours of the Helitech Home Improvement Show coming up just for you. Scott, <clears throat> excuse me, Scott Mosby at the helm. We are cruising down the Mississippi and looking for topics to talk about, about your home, your boat, wherever it is you live, skyscraper, box, underneath a viaduct, all the places that still require some sort of maintenance. Indeed, if you dream, aspire, think perhaps of what the future might be for you in that place, maybe you're remodeling, improving, changing, updating appliances, new floors, countertops, uh, or all of the above, Here's the phone number. Here's the magic key. This is how we get together here on KMOX, and I bring generally half a century of ex- experience to you uh, through these phone lines, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120, 800-925-1120. We've got two hours, no guests, all you, bring it on, and we are talking about various things around the home empty nest advantage or empty next yeah what's next in your life what might need a little bit more attention than you're thinking of and uh, we'll talk about that also the things around bathroom trends all the exciting things around glass shower doors how in the world do they disappear well, they do. And indeed, we'll talk about some of the topics around that. Also, we've got remodeling seminars coming up here uh, in the first part of November. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, following the one, the hidden truths about rea- reality shows and the remodeling myths. That was yesterday, a good Facebook Live event. Thank you to all who attended. Hopefully, you gained some insight, knowledge, and experience from our team. If you want to sign up for any of these events, uh, just check into the website at Mosby Building Arts, mosbybuildingarts.com, or for those of you challenged to memory issues like me, call Mosby, C-A-L-L-M-O-S-B-Y.com. All of these uh, events are free and virtual for the time being as we like to protect our team, our clients, because we intermix with the public as we go, so we kind of keep ourselves and our role very safe. Likewise, so we do this through a virtual reality sort of thing, and we just share it that way. 314-436-7900-436-7900-800-925-1120, and uh, lots of things happening around. So keep in mind, as we go to this changing season, the leaves are turning the maples. Oh, boy, howdy. I love it this time of year uh the trees the leaves the beauty (sighs) it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood well anyway middle of the country it's kind of nice and we're on to leaf raking season for those of you underneath the trees that pretty much includes most of us uh it's time to make sure those leaves don't plug up your gutters and therefore your downspouts perhaps those of you that have piped those downspouts underground make sure those are flushed out so this is when i ask you to take a walk about around your home and be aware of what's going on take a look at the chimney the top cap top cap 
those of you that have masonry fireplaces, the top of that brick that you really can't see, there's kind of a cement cap. It's a domed hunk of mortar and cement, and it's kind of like a roof. Well, it wears out a whole lot faster than your bricks or even the tuck pointing. So keep in mind that needs attention. So anyway, as you check around the house, pay particular attention to the top of that chimney. Any discoloration, efflorescence, which is kind of a white powdery thing. What efflorescence is, is a residue left by water or moisture moving or migrating from the inside of your chimney out. It could be the inside of your stone, your brick, your stucco, whatever it is, where you see a white dusty powdery something on the wall of a structure it means moisture movement. And that's usually um, how Mother Nature is trying to dry out a structure. But nonetheless, as it moves, it will pick up the salt, sometimes the dirt, all those sorts of things. And it happens in your basement, through the foundation wall, through the floor. Uh, concrete is a porous material, so it will allow moisture to move as well as in a gaseous form, uh, kind of vapor, if you will. Anyway, phone lines to talk about this, 314 Six seven nine hundred eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We have an early caller. Let's fire it up. See what's cooking here. Talk with my friend Joe. Hey Joe. Good morning. Welcome to Camwex. How can we help? Hello. Good morning, Scott. Yeah, I was wondering when I asked the screener uh, two unrelated items, but they they do the same thing. Uh, uh -huh. Instead of when you put down the wood on top of the basement before you set the house down, you know. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, on that sill, uh, could you use artificial cork? Because I was watching a show on artificial cork and the properties they say it has would be perfect for that use, I would think, unless you know something otherwise. Well, the compressive strength, what since everything sits on that foundation, it's basically a squeeze membrane, if you will. So uh, there's a thing called FS on lumber, fiber stress. Uh, and artificial cork may be a suitable material. The issue is I don't think it has the intertwining fibers. Uh, essentially for us, tornado wind lift, literally houses get sucked up off the foundation. You know, that's how Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz flew, you know, across oh, okay. Kansas. Basically, that's what happens. It creates a negative pressure, sucks the house off the foundation up, and away we uh -huh. go. So uh, probably okay. not, but it's really around the strength of the lumber. You would have to uh, at least uh, cross-check the, uh, you said the FS factor? Yeah, fiber stress, FFFS, fiber oh, okay. stress. So it just how, right. for example, oak has real high fiber stress, you know, 1,700, uh -huh. 1,800, because if you try to crack it or break it over your knee, once you get it broken, you still can't get that stuff apart. Right. Well, yeah, with a white wood, wood, yeah, you see what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, it makes great whiskey barrels, too, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, but who cares about fiber stress when you're aging whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Scott, for letting me pick your brain. Yeah, well, sometimes it's slim pickings, Joe, but you're welcome to whatever's left, All right. of which Thanks, there Jim. isn't have, much. Yeah, have uh, a good one now. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Bye now. Homecoming is now, indeed. Oh, yeah, all those times. You know, I miss that a little bit. So gathering together. I'm really, really a year into this thing. I'm really starting to miss, you know, the people that, you know, I traveled to see, that uh, business events, uh, personal events, even just family gatherings, somewhat uh, limited. Um, I'm kind of 
getting a little bit of cabin fever. Anyway, maybe you too. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby at your service. We are live and lively, and we have two hours of phone calls just for you. Here are the phone lines. Anything that you've had in your pocket for a while, I know you've been saving those. These are the concepts and the conversations I have. You know I was going to call you Saturday, but it seemed like, well, now is the time. Wide open phone lines, 314-436-7900, And keep in mind, you bring wisdom, you bring questions, and you bring topics of interest. So this is how we share through the community and family of CamoX and Radio.com, kind of the app, APP, which is short for application of a smartphone, and it's kind of a way to get to and through all that electronic and just press a button and up comes CamoX. Also, the website, CamoX.com, you can take me with you any place you want. And indeed, we can talk about that. 314 Three six seven nine hundred eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. One of my favorite things on uh, radio.com, R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M, is the instant rewind. So if you hear me say something, and I try to spell some of these terms because I really don't like when professional lingo gets in the way of good communication. So I try to list things out, say things two or three different ways. I'm quite aware of the various learning styles that we all you know, visual, kinesthetic, auditory. So I'm kind of a mix of all of those. So if you hear me say the same thing three times in three different ways, that's just trying to include everybody in the KMOX family. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby at your service here on KMOX. I'll be right back for more after this. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, back together, Hour 1 Home Improvement, two hours today. Phone lines all for you, 314-436-7900, Anywhere you are on the globe, if you're breathing and have an Internet connection or can call in through the phone lines, 800-925-1120, We have two hours today, lots of things to talk about, and you, are the topic of interest, at least to me. Uh, I wish you all a wonderful holiday, this, um, you know, Halloween, if you will. Um, I love this time. I, one of my favorite uh, events, getting together, although now outdoor, a little social distancing, be a little bit warmer than I thought maybe it was going to be earlier in the week. So anyway, Halloween gatherings to all of you. Be safe out there. And indeed, uh, uh, you know, just uh, watch out for the little goblins, and as you drive around, they, they're they still out. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's talk first with Mildred. Mildred, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help you? Good morning, Scott. It's two questions I have for you, one on the inside and one for the outside, and you uh, spoke on them this morning. On the okay. inside, when you were talking about uh, the... Uh, white uh, film uh, that's on a concrete block wall. Efflorescence, yes. Okay, that. Uh, Uh How can an individual, when you see that on your house where the moisture, like you say, have came through, besides putting dry lock up on on the uh, concrete walls, is there anything else 
uh, and the steps that are needful in order to help to prevent along with, you know, what you can do on the outside. Could you address that? And then yes. the other thing that you talked about was uh, 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 gutters that go in ground that might yeah. ha- be clogged up. And uh, if you have filters over it already, is there still a possibility of it being clogged up over years of time? And how will you know that it's clogged up? Yes. Could you address yes. both of them? Yeah, Mildred, those are both uh, semi-PhD level questions. So uh, <laughs> you're 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 quite the stu- you are most definitely in the advanced stages of uh, home improvement show. Uh, no, F- uh, Scott, Scott, Scott. Uh, remember, I got that 1939 house, and anything could happen. Well, with <laughs> okay? an, I, I rest I'm my case with a ni- with a 1939 house. You know some stuff. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning from you. <laughs> well, again, uh, efflorescence is just the path of moisture coming in and out. So, number one, be aware of the water moisture that it's getting wet in there. And if it's bringing that white salt material out in a brick or masonry structure, just be aware that that wall is getting wet. Now, if it's down low, uh, and this is something that I battled for years with our clients, that, you know, if we're on a front porch, uh, especially in the city where it's a full masonry, I mean, those houses are made mm-hmm. out of brick and block and everything mortar-like. Well, I battled this stuff thinking the moisture was coming from the top down, and 80% of the time it is. But when you get a persistent low on the wall, efflorescence, especially plaster on the inside. Uh, We battled this in living rooms and and dining rooms where those two rooms were on the front of the house and there was a big concrete porch. There's something called a rising damp, D-A-M-P. Basically means moisture will come from out of the ground or under that porch or wherever those broken downspouts may be as well. That water migrates up through that brick, stone, and masonry and then dries to the driest side well if it's wet outside say it's been raining for two or three weeks you know we have those times well it dries itself to the inside and it'll blister and boil the plaster off of the wall oftentimes underneath those windowsills it is from the ground it is a rising source of moisture where the usually uh, saturated soil is trying to dry out and it won't dry to the outside because you know in our humidity uh, we're, we're heating or cooling our homes so the inside of the house is usually drier than the outside so that moisture moves to the inside so that's real i'm talking about the basement scott this basement walls there's nothing wrong with the uh, first level i'm talking about the basement the lowest portion of the wall if you see that uh uh Efflorescent, yeah, the white dusty stuff. It's still the same thing, Mildred, that that water is still down in that soil underneath the ground, and it's going from high concentration wet to low concentration dry in your basement. Your basement, no matter how wet it is, is drier than the outdoors when it's raining. So there's really not much you can do about it because it needs a separator. It needs a membrane. It needs a uh, an overcoat. It needs uh, some gasket that doesn't allow that that wet dirt to touch the foundation and especially when it's a masonry foundation you know built everywhere from the mid 1800s all the way we're still doing masonry foundations
conditions now. And that moisture will move through that concrete block, concrete poured concrete, brick, whatever it is. My point is that about the only thing you can do is kind of make yourself feel better. And that's put, you know, like a dry lock material on that concrete. But if you have a lot of moisture down there, for example, in your second question, the underground broken um, downspout drain, well, in the city of St. Louis, University City, and what's called the inner ring around the, the municipality of, of St. Louis, that that city was built in high density because it was so valuable being close to the river. Well, they built the houses close together. They couldn't get rid of the rain wall, rainwater. There wasn't any place for swales or gutters unless it was down the street. So they piped all of their downspouts underneath the ground. And they sent it to MSD, Metropolitan Sewer District, 150 years ago. Because that was the only way to get rid of that water and heavy rainfall when you paved the entire city. Whether roofs or sidewalks, driveways or streets, that's where those underground drains came from in the inner ring or or downtown if you will well now we've got untreated rainwater which is pretty clean stuff going to msd and they have to spend a gazillion dollars treating it because it mixes in with all the affluent all the sewer stuff so now that's why you're hearing msd saying man we need money because we can't replace all these pipes in downtown city because it mixes the rainwater anyway on and on we go my point being that i can almost promise you mildred that your underground downspout drains uh, are probably broken and somewhat plugged so even if you put a filter in it and you're trying to um, you know keep the water from your roof uh, from plugging up or the leaves or gook that gets in your gutters uh, just the age of those pipes the sewer system and the downspout drains are an issue and and MSD will continue to come to us as the voters and say you know not only do we need to do this but now the federal government is hammering on us we have to do it or we get sued and then we're going to start paying your tax money into penalties we need to fix this so that's kind of the dance going on with the MSD thing Uh, boy I got up on my soapbox there didn't I no, 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 no. You you were very informative, and, and these are things I needed to know. But the one, the only one that I have, uh, well, I do have one that, that was put in uh, uh, on, uh, to take it from underground to put it on the lawn that, yeah. uh, you know, goes underneath the lawn. And that's what I was just wondering about. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, how do you know that it's plugged up? you know, or when it needs cleaning out. And if it cleans out, where is it going? Yeah, just... Just assume it's plugged. I promise you they're all plugged to some level. Uh, what I typically do a couple times a year, basically when I get bored and I'm outside and, you know, finish cutting the grass or whatever it is I've been doing, I stuff a hose down that inlet. Uh, the ins- I, ha- I leave the top fitting between downspout, which is square, and then that pipe, which is usually white PVC, or at least at my house it is. I lift that up and stuff a hose down there, and then I go looking for where wet spots are in the yard. I know where my pipe you know exhausts but generally I go there and I typically will take five gallon buckets of of water and dump down there to kind of slush it out you know just basically flush out that thing Uh, but that's I I just assume it's plugged and Mm. uh, do that couple times a year there that you know better better be safe than sorry because going into the freeze time here Mildred you know you can split that pipe and then really have bigger problems so ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure well, thank you so very much. You're helping me be a better steward 
over this uh, old house. And like you say, uh, you just told the story of St. Louis City housing and uh, trying to maintain them. And I appreciate what you told me, but I thought it was something else as far as maintaining from the inside. And you're saying, no, there is not. Well, you can kind of put your dry lock on the wall as a paint, but that moisture is still going to try and come off. And after five, seven years, you're going to boil that paint off the concrete as well. Right, right. Thank you so very much. You continue having a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. God bless, Mildred. Thanks. And, man, we were off to the races there. Efflorescence. I'm not even sure many of you know how to spell that. I won't bore you with that topic. Uh, And then underground downspout drains and how those interrelate and the history thereof. All right, I've got one for you here. You know, pardon me for indulging myself. Um, This was one of the surprising. Okay, so the city of St. Louis, all that inner circle, inner ring of housing that is around the older municipalities, city of St. Louis, U City. Uh, even up in Florissant, it's it's an old city. Um, why are closets so small? Why are closets so small? And we'll talk about that when we come back on KMOX. Scott Mosby here. This is University of KMOX. I'll be back with the answer after this. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, we talked about artificial cork in our first question in uh, this uh, first uh, kickoff topic. Uh, artificial cork, interesting topic and information. I talked about fiber stress, and the higher the number, the gnarlier the harder, the more framing structural lumber it is. So the difference between, for example, uh, a cedar has low fiber stress. As it breaks, those fibers don't kind of cross over the break and hold the board together. White wood, a pine, um, a hemlock, those you break and they just kind of snap and you have two pieces in your hand. Uh, you see the you know martial arts guys break and it's always a white wood. They don't mess with oak because you break oak and even when the tree falls down, it doesn't separate from the trunk. It's the, the fiber strength from one part of the tree to the other is very high, makes it good structural lumber. Now, why are closets so small in the city of St. Louis and the inner ring of uh, neighborhoods that were built you know, around the uh, World's Fair, 1900s, all of that? Yep, raise your hand. Oh, there's a lot. Of, oh, a lot of people know this answer. There was a closet tax. A measurement of wealth was how much stuff you had. And if you had stuff, stuff needed to go somewhere. So stuff, clothing, shoes, whatever, uh, would go into a closet. So the more wealth you had, the more stuff you had, the bigger your closet was. So despite some enormous um, mansions built you will find that most of those places had small closets because the smaller your closet, the lower your property tax. So they didn't really have property tax. They hadn't figured that part out yet on what the value of that home might be. But they started with the closet tax. And that was a measurement of stuff slash wealth. Anyway, for those of you that are history, you know, we got into the MSD and the sewers and all of that kind of interesting stuff. Thought you'd take a little interest in the closet tax. Let's go and speak with uh, Greg. Hey, Greg, Scott Mosby here, Hour One, University of KMWX. How can I help, sir? 
Hey, good morning. Good morning. This should be pretty quick and easy. Um, I just want to know if you have a recommendation for anybody that does, um, oh, I've got kitchen tile floor and it just needs to be cleaned. And then probably I'm thinking of color sealing it. So yeah. I don't know if you have a company that you might recommend or. Yeah, I'll tell you what, for uh, things like that, I refer you to our uh, office at Mosby Building Arts. We okay. keep a spreadsheet for those types of services. Uh, typically, it's, I mean, we buy these services all the time. Right. We check them out all the time. So we're kind of your research and development, uh, and there are basically you're looking for a steam cleaner for ceramic tiles. These happen in commercial kitchens all the time. And, mm-hmm. for example, you'll find uh, people in the lobby of a large multi-story building steaming the tile or the granite or the whatever. So, yeah, those surface services are there. A lot of franchises have opened up in the last 10 or 15 years because, you know, it, the equipment is expensive and the knowledge is important. Yeah. But it doesn't take 100 years to learn to do this. Anyway, call Mosby, 314-909-1800, 909-1800, and turn that question to them. Uh, uh, tile cleaning, steaming, as well as having a discussion around sealing, because when you get into these guys, they advise some stones to be sealed and others not. And okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I almost was thinking of just having it, because it's, it's ceramic, but... Yeah, I was kind of just having it like steam, clean, you know, cleaned, and then do the sealing myself. But yeah, other I don't know if that's a big deal or not. I just you know I look up and your Home Depots have you know you can get the sealer for twenty or thirty bucks and yeah, but I don't most, know if it's a big most, deal or not. So thought you might have a recommendation, but I'll call them on Monday. Yeah. Um can you uh, throw that number out to me? Yeah, three one four. Uh-huh. 909-1800, 909-1800. Tried to, actually, my wife came up with that number years ago, 909-1800. Perfect. I'll call him Monday. All right. Thanks. Good Thank luck. You, Take care. All right, Greg. Hey, a little bit of good thought there. Greg is thinking through, okay, once I get this stuff clean, let's seal it. So many people just like, well, I'm supposed to seal my tile, and they seal it. Well, you know, that's like putting deodorant on after you haven't showered for a couple of days of lawn work. You really want to get clean before you put that deodorant. You really want to clean that tile and that grout before you seal it. Otherwise, you're just putting this whiz-bang high-tech surface over your dirt and making sure the dirt can't be cleaned out because a good sealer will protect exchange of dirt coming in or likewise whether you know it or not dirt coming out so you don't want to seal it before you clean it uh anyway but yeah we do at mosby building arts we keep it we used to have a term for it i forget what it was like the hot sheet or something um but anyway it, it is a list of contractors and services that we're uh, happy to share because when we find somebody good you know, we like to share it. That's good. We want to see that business thrive and do well. Likewise, you know, when we find people stumbling, uh, changing, whatever, we'll pull them off that list and, you know, just don't re- recommend them anymore. Uh, but generally, most uh, companies that, you know, people that run a good business tend to keep running a good business. Uh, let's visit with my friend Earl. Hey, Earl, good morning. Welcome to KMWX. How can I help? Scott Scott Mosby yep, here. Scott, I have yeah. effervescence coming from my brick. How do I remove that staining? Uh, the efflorescence is usually a salt or lime. So vinegar 
is a good one. It's, you know, you're going to acid wash your brick. So this is the same white stuff when the bricklayers, brick mason, stone setters, when they actually get the mortar on the face of the brick, they then use a muriatic acid, which is a hydrochloric acid. You can do the same with vinegar. Be careful. You need to use white vinegar. Otherwise, you'll, you'll stain the, the mortar a little bit. But it's a, a if you're using muriatic acid, it's full gauntlet length rubber gloves eye covering, long sleeve, I mean a big deal, uh, but basically you're going to put a little bit of low grade acid on it and you'll watch it bubble off, just like that white stuff on your car battery or lawnmower battery you know, when it builds up, I just put a little bit of baking soda, let the chemical uh, do the work for you but uh, all you're doing is putting a little bit of muriatic or hydrochloric acid uh, on that surface, it'll attack the white stuff and it comes off pretty easy because it's thin uh, and if you put too much on or full strength, it's going to go at the brick, stone, or mortar, and you start tearing that stuff down. But that's how you clean a masonry product. Okay. Thanks, Scott. You bet. Take care, Earl. Good idea there. Uh, and efflorescence is everywhere. We've had a fairly wet uh, year this year. So, you know, through the summer, you know, I kept waiting for the big dry, and then the rain came, and on we went there. Uh, uh, so anyway, just be aware, uh, efflorescence is nothing more than salts slash lime deposits or mineral deposits, same stuff that builds up in your hard water coming in your faucets and such. And as you get those aerators on the end of your faucet spouts, you know, in your kitchen, you know, you just unscrew that little aerator, that little thing that comes off, close your drain before you do this because four or five little pieces drop out. Sometimes it's sand, sometimes it's washers, and sometimes it is flow preventers. So that diminishes the amount of flow coming out of there. Uh, let's see what's cooking here with my friend, uh, Let's go to, uh, how about Al? Hey, Al, good morning. Welcome to KMWX. How can I help? Fine. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, for being there. I've picked your brain three or four times over the last half a dozen years or so. Um, oh, wow. I've got a house out in uh, West County that's uh, blessed with aluminum wiring. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I moved here uh, 40 years ago, my uncle was an electrician, tightened all the lugs in the box for me. But Recently, uh, some of the lights uh, started to flicker, so I had the lugs tightened again. And then on one room, whenever I would uh, hit the switch, it would be uh, a little bit, just a slight uh, buzzing sound, and then it would cause static in the radio. So mm -hmm. I changed the switch out, and that seemed to help that for a few days. But then, you know, the lights would flicker again. And uh, so, <clears throat> um, but there was no static on the radio. So anyway, um, I'm deciding now what to do it seems to me that there are other things in the circuit that could be loose because i i made a mention i did have the lugs tightened again so yeah. i was thinking about moving on the circuit to the outlets and that and as i'm sitting here waiting i just just thought well gee i really need to check the fixture itself but uh, so that was my plan to kind of go back and you know hit the various things where there could be a, a, a loose connection and i was wondering uh, am i on the right track there am i missing something or Nope, uh, you're right on the right track. For example, uh, you may have aluminum wiring that goes up to copper wires in your light fixtures. Well, mm. you know, generally they don't think to put any NOAA locks or antioxidant on that where the copper and the aluminum actually create, um, you know, a, a, a 
a deterioration of the wiring. Uh, so you, your very connections to the light fixtures can also need, uh, there's a product called Noalox or antioxidant, and it's basically just something that bridges from the dissimilar two different types from one to the other. But personally, the way I would go at this, Al, uh, I would, and frankly, uh, when, I, I, when I move into a new old home, one of the first things I do over that first year is change the devices because they wear out. I mean, you plug in and, you know, so you might have 100 plugs, switches and lights. Well, you know, the six that I use every day, plug in, plug out, plug in, plug out, plug in, you know, like mm-hmm. vacuum cleaner. They literally wear out and they mechanically fall apart. So I start, I, I just generally change those. And then, you know, with aluminum wiring, then I just advise you use that antioxidant. It, it looks like Vaseline, but it has yeah. some ability to bridge electrically and all. So anyway, yeah, I just preventive maintenance as you go through here, you know, for the cost of devices, I just change them, you know, a few every year and and uh, noah locks everything as you go yeah yeah i've always used that stuff in the past whenever i've installed something that uh, needed yeah. so okay i appreciate it thank you sir good good question al on aluminum wiring thanks we're gonna take a short pause and come back for more on university of kmox welcome back to the helitech foundation repair home improvement show presented by suburban leisure center on olive one mile west of 141 now once again your host scott mosby on kmox indeed back together kmox home improvement show scott mosby here uh my day job is mosby building arts uh years ago uh when uh the infrared thermal guns came out uh we were uh, very deep into uh uh doing uh energy audits, blower door tests, measuring the efficiency of uh, the energy use and and purchases. And we purchased an infrared thermal gun, which you kind of, you know, point at a wall and it'll show you where all the heat, it'll tell you the temperatures of every surface of that wall. You could tell where the heat was escaping or, for example, in the summertime, we could tell where the cold areas on the wall would be. So air conditioning, we could tell. Anyway, it tells you where the wall leaks. Had this conversation. I have a lot of firefighter buddies and having that conversation like, oh yeah, we've got several of those. Like, what in the world? It's like, oh yeah, we go through the houses. You know, when we, you know, fight a fire, we go through, we look for the hot spots to see if we got everything. He said, oh, by the way, he said, it's really good with aluminum wiring because if you have any kind of an arcing the infrared gun will show us where those warm spots are so I just go around you know and look at various people's outlets and I can tell whether they're warm or not I found that was interesting so all the various tool applications were very interesting to me Uh, let's see what's happening with Doug Uh, Doug good morning welcome to KMOX how can I help sir hi yeah so we are um, in a probably a 35 year old house up West County has cedar siding, which is a real pain. And so we're going to have it sided with vinyl siding uh, in the next month or so. I ripped off one of the uh, cedar panels, cedar boards, and uh, saw that it's basically foam board underneath that. And then I think uh, the 2x4s with some uh, uh, regular fiberglass insulation or that. When they rip off the uh, cedar siding to put on the vinyl, can I go around, should I go around with Tyvek? And see all that up because there is uh, none. Well, yeah. Number one, uh, it, here I'm going to try and spend a lot of your money. Um, even with foam, when you have foam sheathing, uh, 
even at the corners. You, if you get to the corner of the house, you'll find those are plywood where they're rack braced. Um, but if you get the opportunity, and, and this can get pricey because you're making your wall fatter and thicker, which means you have to extend all your door trims and window trims and all those things. But the opportunity to put an overcoat, an insulated foam barrier, real foam sheathing over the outside is a real opportunity. That being said, if you're not willing to spend that money or not, I would most definitely put a um, um, uh, Tyvek or, or some sort of a smart barrier on the outside of your home because I promise, for example, even on your cedar siding, water gets behind that cedar. I promise water will get even more behind vinyl siding. Both are, in, are actually termed cladding, which basically means they're panels that hang on the side of your house but they're not they take most of the weather but water does get behind that and that's where that uh, membrane comes on it lets the moisture come through but it slows down the water penetrating your wall cavity so you're saying if i can afford it uh then i should replace the foam board with thicker newer foam board just go over the top of it. Your house, because oh, of the oh. way it was built, will be structurally sound the way they framed it. But uh, the issue is, for example, when the 2x4 goes all the way through, uh, and that's why I like the foam insulation. It's not as rigid or structurally sound, but it covers those boards. So your thermal bridging, where your 2x4 carries the hot or the cold all the way past your fiberglass insulation in between the studs, an, yep. out, an out layer of foam we've discovered in the last 10 years to be just better than anything else because it gets past all that thermal bridging stuff that, you know, two by fours, two by sixes and framing has. So that's my number one. And if you do it with the foam, I probably would still put on a Tyvek, uh, but you're diminishing returns there. That The advantage being mostly watershed for the Tyvek type product. Foam is just flat out energy. Yeah, that's great. And can I ask a quick follow-up question on on your thermal gun thing? Can yeah. you buy those now inexpensively, or yeah, what we, if I, I wanted to do that? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, check it out because uh, I guess you know we've got you know a couple of geeks you know on the team that just they can't help but they love this stuff. Yeah. And there are thermal registers that you can buy to put on your smartphone for something like four or five hundred dollars. And, you know, though they're not as accurate as a, you know, $10,000, $20,000 machine, man, they're pretty good, you know. Wow. Okay. So, so and, and it's interesting. I mean, I, the, uh, I used to play with that thing for the first two years we had it. It's like, well, I wonder what, you know, is my engine hot? <laughs> well, you know, my engine was hot everywhere, so I couldn't tell anything there. But, you know, the walls, you know, the top wall, you know, and I'm in a 1950s yeah. house, so I shot the wall and the top one foot in a frame wall had no insulation because it had settled oh that's another question that that i probably don't yeah. need to ask at this yeah. point <laughs> yeah well but okay. that's that's why you foam cover the outside you get past all those sins you just get you know you just kind of and it's pricey and the, the the siding guys don't like doing it because it's kind of a foreign skill or trade you know they remove siding they put on siding so it's a little bit of a wrestling match to get a uh, to get your house foamed whereas the house wrap they generally know how to do i see okay terrific thanks so much yeah. Okay. Take care. Home Improvement, right. Scott Mosby, Cam Wax. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's happening here with my friend. Uh, uh, let's go to Jim. See what's happening. Hey, Jim, Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Hi, Scott. Thanks for your service. 
uh, question regarding inside uh, fireplace. Uh, got an a, a 11-year-old house we just bought. Um, it's got a fireplace that goes, of course, all the way from the basement all the way up to the top. The basement, you can see the concrete block. Hey, hey, Jim, I messed up. Or, or, uh, can you go on hold? I've got, I'm running out of town. My apologies. Will you hold for next hour? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that's... I'm sorry. Hold, hang on. We'll be right back for this after news, weather, and sports on KMOX. All right, welcome back. Lunchtime, bean time, top of the hour. Strap on the feed bag. Put a few shrimp on the barbie. Couple of steaks on the grill. Peanut butter and jelly, maybe some beans. Well, anyway, let's let's uh, we'll stay with that. Anyway, Scott Mosby here, home improvement. One more hour. I am at your service. Fifty thousand watts. Phone lines are open for you. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred. Toll free eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Some of the things we talked about in the first hour. Uh, artificial cork. Question: Can it be the sill plate, sole plate on the top of the house? Uh, it hasn't really undergone any underwriter lab, uh, testing that I know of. So if it were suitable, it would have to, as an artificial man-made material, be certified for that use. Oh, we had a lot of questions about efflorescence, the white powdery residue on brick, concrete, masonry surfaces, um, even coming through paint. Uh, you'll see that that is an indication of water drying to that side. So efflorescence can actually occur inside the house as well as outside of the house. Mildred has some great questions about that and cleaning underground downspout drains the answer is yes uh, and then well, we had another question how do you get the efflorescence off well that is muriatic acid for those of you who don't like playing around with hydrochloric acid just use white vinegar vinegar is an acid and frankly will address that white efflorescence take a little bit more time might take a few more uh, applications also aluminum wiring al had a question of aluminum wiring no or an anti-corrosive paste or it's kind of like a vaseline or a white cream depends on the the brand but it basically bridges the the electrical charge and gets rid of the uh, uh, corrosive elements between dissimilar metals being a copper wire and an aluminum wire or perhaps aluminum wire and a brass or copper screw or fitting on a device such as an, a duplex plug or light switch. Uh, if you have aluminum wiring, my advice is change out your devices anyway. Uh, or if you don't have aluminum wiring, I generally change out devices anyway, um, typically uh, for uh, color. But the point is, is the 10 or 20 plugs in the house that get the uh, the dryers in it, the blow dryers, the uh, vacuum cleaner, whatever appliance gets used the most, those outlets just flat wear out. You know, they're mechanical devices and they just wear out. And as they wear out, sometimes they can create a little bit of an electrical uh, hazard there. Uh, also, cedar siding, we were talking about the value of putting foam insulation or insulation all the way around the outside of a house, bridging over all the two-by-fours, stud framing, those various things. So uh, all that we've learned over the years, you know, you put spray-in foam and all this whiz-bang stuff. As long as you have a two-by-four that goes all the way from the inside of the house to the outside, without some layer of insulation, you're bridging 
the either heat from the inside escaping or the cold on the outside penetrating to the inside. And again, when you get into air conditioning times, when it's really high humidity, you wind up with those cold two by fours because your air conditioning, the inside of the house, when it's really, really hot, so it's hot and moist on the outside, you basically can have ghosting or tracks. Uh, and you might find it this time of the year where, you, where you'll drive down the street and you look at a home off in a neighborhood and you see stripes, vertical stripes, about every 16 inches apart or 24 inches apart. And that is that thermal bridging, a different temperature showing itself because the dew, the dew, the moisture droplets will gather there this time of the year in the spring and the fall, which really shows the difference in the temperatures. Anyway, Scott Mosby here, my day job, Mosby Building Arts. Uh, you can uh, reach me or us, 314-909-1800. Uh, also, Greg had a question of a contractor to refer. Uh, we offer that service as well at Mosby, so we have a spreadsheet we keep for referring. We don't have every trade listed because sometimes we just don't have really good ones worth referring. Uh, for the most part, uh, we do. But anyway, you can call Mosby Building Arts at 314-909-1800. We'll share that with you. There's also an annual preventive maintenance list that um, actually I started, oh gosh, a long time ago. And, and it was, what what are my responsibilities around the house? You know, as a homeowner. What, what do I need to clean when? What do I need to do at this season? You know, when is the time to start thinking about, you know, putting away the whole, all those things. And I started writing that stuff down. Well, then it started flying around the outline. Well, I've got a few things to add. I've got a few things to add. Anyway, we wound up with that. It's a preventive maintenance or a maintenance list, if you will, um, that we do share. So that's still there as well. Uh, let's get to my friend here who uh, ran out of time. Jim, my apologies to you here. Scott Mosby, uh, back from Hour one. Uh, Jim, thanks for holding the line. How can I help you, sir? That's okay. I gave you time to run to the store and get back to the car. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> so, thank you. Question for you. I've got an 11-year-old house we bought. It's got an 8-foot wide uh, fireplace. It separates the living room from the dining room. It's really nice. It's, it's concrete block. You go down the basement, you can see the concrete block going up. And then on the uh, dining room and the living room, it's a it's a stone, natural stone, mm -hmm. that's been applied to that, and it goes all the way to the top of the ten foot ceiling. Beautiful. It, it's oh, it is. It's really nice. You can see through it both sides. Uh, question I've got. It for the top of two questions actually. The top of the ceiling, a couple places, a grout has kind of started to come out of there, and I noticed it, there's also like a. I guess it's a, a crack that goes around in a couple places where the wallboard makes contact with the mortar. Yeah. So my first question is, what would you advise me to do with something like that? And then the second question I've got, it's a fireplace that has uh, fan-operated uh, blowers, yeah. I guess you'd call them. And it's got two big vents, one on each side. Mm-hmm. And boy, when that thing gets going, I mean, it'll run you out of the house. <laughs> I know. Um, the uh, uh, vents, it looks like they were powder-coated, I guess, when they were probably put in there new, uh, probably mm -hmm. from the factory. Yeah. They're probably about three foot long. You can open and close them, different types. It's it's above, it's right around the mantle. Oh, that's um, really nice. You got, you got yeah, the nice one. Oh, it's nice. I mean, it's thermostatically controlled and everything else, and uh, it's it's really nice. It's got the vents on the bottom you can turn. Uh, but my question about those is that the paint looks like it's kind of starting to peel a little bit. 
Sure. Is that something I would have to have repowder coated, or is there something like a, a paint, a heat-resistant paint I could use to put on that? Uh, actually, the only place you need heat-resistant paint is around the firebox. When you get to those grills, you know, even 200, 250 degrees is not really high temp. Uh, so it's more like a rust-oleum, you know, sand it down, uh, get the rust out, uh, use a primer and a paint. You have to tape off everything so you don't paint your stone. But it's right. it's pretty low-tech. Don't worry about it from a high performance. Uh, but generally, I you know, if you're worried about it, you can get high-temp paint for engine blocks and such at auto you know body auto stores and also you know hardware stores but yeah i don't think you need it for those vents uh okay yes i was it's a flat black so i was i was kind of leaning towards that maybe like an engine color you know engine paint something like that yeah yeah and and then the ceiling line that is an isolation or a separation issue uh it's in the city of st louis where plaster was plastered right up to that stone or brick those masonry fireplaces they get wet because there is a part sticking up above the roof and it gets rained on just like the roof does and it gets wet well golly it's pretty dry down there in the first floor so it tries to dry itself so the moisture migrates through that stone and it will uh vapor form will come out of that stone or brick and if you have plaster or drywall uh you know you've got moisture on your drywall so it will separate so you just cut that drywall back or plaster and the goal is separation and just put a uh you know acrylic caulk a paintable caulk something rubberish that doesn't transfer the moisture from the stone which you really can't stop even if you seal the chimney up top you're still going to get moisture because you get i mean burning uh logs or or fuel you know 50 percent of the out gases is moisture so even you know the fireplace gets wet from the inside even so right it's got it's got the uh, brick fire the chimney on the top of the ceiling going outside and it's got a, a concrete cap on top and I just recently, I just recently replaced the aluminum covering. It's a little bit wider than the one that was on there originally. Yes. So I'm hoping that, you know, if there was moisture coming in, I'm hoping hoping that that will take care of it. Well, I promise it can't hurt. You know, and, and a little no. bit overhang more, and you know, the more we know about moisture, and and you've got, I mean, you've got the money shot of a fireplace. It sounds like to me. So, woo, <laughs> baby, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm sure it you appreciate nice. it. All yeah, right. it, looks, it looks very nice. I appreciate your help. Yeah, Jim, it's kind of low-tech little caulk on the ceiling and just regular paint on your vents. I think you're good to go. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Bye now. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. I appreciate Jim's patience, uh, and we were able to run a few errands myself. Not very far, but, you know, anyway, eh, Studio KMOX. We're going to take a short pause and come right back after this on KMOX. All right, back together, Hour 2, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, phone lines open for you. I promise I'll at least try to get to all of you, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900, toll-free anywhere on the globe, 800-925-1120. Uh, if you're looking for the phone number for Mosby Building Arts for referrals of contractors or services, you're welcome to call Mosby Building Arts at 314-909-1800, 909-1800. Believe it or not, you can actually pick your phone number. 
you can't really kind of pick it, but they'll give you groups of three at a time. And my wife did this some, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 35 years ago. It's like, I want a memorable phone number. And away she went. So anyway, ask it. She, ye shall receive. Uh, 314-436-7900. How do you think KMOX got that one? Yeah, there you go. And we're going to talk about that and more. Let's see who's been waiting. Let's go to Joe. Hey, Joe, Scott Mosby here. Good afternoon. How can I help, sir? Yeah, good afternoon, Scott. Thank you for your service. I've got a hodgepodge of questions here. Um, First one uh, I'd like to start off with, is it too late in the season to uh, consider sealing the uh, driveway and caulking all the seams? Uh, Caulking, no, you can caulk that pretty much. That needs to be dry uh, and clean, so the caulking can occur. Sealing, you're a little bit, you're right at the cusp, C-U-S-P, right at the edge of too late because the temperature of the soil or pavement, whether asphalt, concrete, brick, or stone, has to be about or above 70 degrees. So, and the sun can do that. So if you get a day like today where it's going to be 60 degrees and the sun pounds on it all day, you can seal it. And, you know, once you get it applied in the initial bond, you know, if it gets cooler than that, it slows down how it cures, which is not a big problem. But getting that initial bond to stick, you ideally want the surface temperature to be 70. You're a little late for that. Caulking is pretty, you know, agnostic. It doesn't really care. So it'll stick pretty well down to, you know, 40 degrees and even lower if it's a chemical material. Okay, I guess we'll put off the ceiling till uh, next spring, next summer. Yeah, there you go, Joe. Got dodged that one, didn't you, brother? Yeah. <laughs> Next one uh, has to do with my hot water heater. It's fairly new. Uh, it's only about three years old. And I was thinking about flushing it. And I think, I'm not sure of the procedure. I think I'm supposed to turn the hot water heater off completely and drain it completely. Or can I just leave it on and then attach a hose to the drain valve and let it flush whatever sediment has collected at the base of the unit? More the second one, Joe, because really, and I'll tell you how I go about doing this. I just had a conversation the other day with a plumber, you know, and he was saying, you know, people don't know how important this is. Uh, anyway, so I hook a, a hose up to my, um, my uh, water heater and I open the bottom. And of course, as the water comes out, it comes out with force. Well, that's a good thing because you've got a filler tube, a dip tube that puts that water all the way down to the bottom of the tank and blows the bottom of the tank. So basically, when you're using hot water off the top of the tank, this uh, fresh cold water coming in to be heated is down by the flame on on a uh, uh, gas fire. So anyway, the bottom, and then I kind of turn off the top. I have a lever filler, so I've got a uh, gate valve. So I turn it off. And then I turn it on right away. So I basically try to get as much turbulence going on in there because it's really just sand particles. And I blow that stuff up into the uh, the water at the bottom of that tank and drain it out. And I do this for, I don't know, five minutes. And then I turn it all off and let the stuff settle back down again because your drain is not exactly at the bottom of the tank. It's, you know, two inches three inches up off the bottom Uh and then I go through this again so anyway just how much patience do you have and you know I might do this you know over a course of a Saturday afternoon when I'm working around the house so you know I mean once I get the hose out there I just try and clean it up as best I can but I'll I'll turn this on off on off thing maybe four or five times a day you know Mm. you know so it's not necessary to turn the hot water heater completely off then 
No, in fact, really, you really want the turbulence of that pressured water to blow that sand up into suspension, and then that flow coming out of that uh, drain at the bottom through your hose, you want that stuff to just take all that sand out of the way. Got it. Okay. And then uh, my next question has to do with your discussion earlier about fluorescence uh, building up on concrete. How about on driveways, like inside the garage? I often see this white effervescence collecting on the surface of my uh, uh, garage floor. Can I treat that with white vinegar? Uh, Yeah, you can. That's usually salt from the winter. Uh, You will have efflorescence, but if that is efflorescence and not really salt from the winter, because typically the time I see white stuff on my concrete uh, garage floor is usually the stuff that MoDOT and IDOT put on the Illinois Department of Transportation, Missouri Department, what the antifreeze salt product. So that's usually, I just wipe that stuff up with soap and water. And if it comes back in the summertime or spring or fall, you know, when you're not having salt out on the streets, then it is efflorescence. And that, yeah, I would do vinegar in my driveway just because it's, it's easy and, you know, it's cheap and you know right, now you're to... saying driveway and i was referring to the garage floor it's same thing the driveway is too large to do i, I think well i wouldn't do that only only the areas where that efflorescent white dust comes the driveway doesn't need this stuff because frankly you're not going to remove stains you're only going to remove this white dust particle yeah. residue you know yeah yeah, yeah. okay and then uh, my final question has to do with uh humidifiers for the home that's attached mm-hmm. to a furnace. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend as a, a good setting for humidity? Well, I'll tell you, I, I have real strong feelings about that. Uh, higher than 25% relative humidity when you go through the winter, and uh, typically 35. So 25 to 35 is optimal. Uh, if you have COPD or any respiratory issues like that, your doctor's recommendation would precede, would uh, supersede that. So basically, if you have lung problems, then you go with whatever the doc tells you. But I'm telling you that your hardwood floors, your furniture, furniture, your baseboard, your trims, uh, everything wood and drywall and plaster needs a consistent humidity level. And we're just coming off the sun, summer where the average humidity is 80%, 85%. So we're going to drop that in half. So uh, actually, um, I, I think we took this clause out of the Mosby Building Arts construction contract. But to force this conversation, I had it in our contract that homeowner will maintain the house between you know 20 and 35% relative of humidity for the first two years after because you, you know you dry that house out i mean everything's going to shrink and crack and it's not well, a i notice that my humidifier well my humidistat downstairs uh yeah. is reading like 40 percent humidity down in the lower level yeah in a basement and it's I'm hard to get it under that, 50 that that's okay upstairs as well it does, but in the basement, uh, it, it's really hard to get a basement down below 45 or 50 percent, even in in the winter. When you get into the end of February, you know, I've got a, a concrete and a masonry structure, and man, it, I have a hard time getting my basement drier than 45 percent relative humidity mm-hmm. until we get really deep into the spring. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that takes care of all my questions for now, Scott. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Good questions, Joe. Thanks a lot. Yep. Have a good one. All right. You too, sir.
Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. Again, that brings forward that conversation. And, you know, people are like, why are you so militant about relative humidity maintaining in a house? Well, if you've ever gone, I mean, people call and we're getting there. I mean, we get into January, so it's really humid all throughout the summer. Then it's wet and it's very humid. So the wood gets very moist. So all of our houses, even the framing, just a frame home can can rise. It expands up and down. So a wood frame two-story house will grow by an inch with humidity and shrink, get shorter by an inch with superior or or supreme dryness so you can open every miter every crack every joint every cope at the corner uh, every style and rail joint in a door in a cabinet door in your furniture armrests that are wood if you dry that house out too fast which we do by firing on these forced air furnaces if you don't have humidity in that house everything gets smaller and as it gets smaller, those boards get shorter, those joints open. So anyway, it wasn't that I really wanted to maintain or, uh, you know, you, I just wanted to have this conversation that you have a responsibility to kind of keep humidity at a consistent level. Anyway, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I'll get off my stump. We can talk about something else here when we come back for more on KMOX. All right, back together, home improvement, Scott Mosby, 50,000 blowtorch watts. We have Bosco, my pet gerbil, in the back with the uh, treadmill. He is pumping out most of the electric for this broadcast. little bit extra help from Ameren in the southern Missouri site where our broadcast tower is located, and we are downtown University of KMOX. Let's go see my friend Don. Hey, Don, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Good afternoon, Scott. Uh, I had a question. Uh, I have a uh, a fireplace and I have a brick chimney. Uh, when I purchased the house uh, about 20 years ago, I had the chimney had to be rebuilt uh, from the roof up. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm coming around to where I have some more maintenance issues. Uh, and I this may be a bad thing to mention, but I was thinking about just tearing that chimney off. Mm-hmm. and closing up the roof and be done with it. I didn't know what the pros and cons of that would be. Well, if you move the fire if you remove the fireplace down below, you can do exactly that. Uh you but you can't have a fire they're not worried about you. Uh codewise the issue is uh the next homeowner, you know, if there's a fireplace down there, they have reasonable uh, reasons to assume that fireplace is working. Uh, so if you tear the chimney off, for example, if there's a master plan where, and, and we work with people like this all the time, where we're re-roofing the house first, we may tear the chimney out. What we do is we demolish enough of the inner side fireplace that it, you know, anybody reasonable would know something's wrong. Um, so you can you can do what you're asking a little bit out of sequence, but you have to make it obvious and remove it from operation. Uh, it's kind of like the OSHA thing that, you know, if I have a bad cord and a reasonable person would grab that tool, plug it in, it looks good, I'm going to use it. Well, if you've got a bad plug on the end of it and you see that, it's your responsibility 
responsibility to lock out that tool, which basically means make sure the next guy has to look as to why it doesn't work. So the same kind of safety logic in the building code requires that. So yeah, you can knock that chimney off, re-roof right over the top of it, but with it goes the responsibility of removing that firebox from operational ability. What would that, in other words, could it be enclosed in some way from the inside or what? Yeah, yeah, you'd actually have to tear out the fire brick and almost demolish it, make it so obvious that if somebody uncovers it, they would then have to replace that. But uh, oftentimes it can be done by covering it over would work, but you do also have to kind of make it so obviously out of service. You know, to me, obvious is there's no chimney. I mean, you know. Yeah, but then, you know, so we're remodeling 10 years later. We open this thing up. Homeowner looks at it says, I'm going to burn a fire. It looks pretty good to me. Uh, yeah. Well, and I'm not that sentimental it. about fires. I've just, to, my, yeah. to me, it's just a 12-inch uh, uh, blue pipe into my living room, basically. Hey. Amen. There you go. So the flue pipe doesn't need to come out, but the firebox has to be kind of defaced. It has to be obvious this thing is just out of service. Yeah. It, uh, what would a person have to do, you know, to seal off that mason there? You know, like if you still have the flue pipe from the ceiling down, does that have to be sealed in some way to, you know, kind of keep the condensation, all that other stuff happening? Yeah, generally, uh, uh, we'll get it down to some level uh, in the attic, and, and it really gets it just a dollars and cents thing. If we can afford it, we'll remove the whole thing out of it, because oftentimes, when you get down into a kitchen or a family room or a living room, when you take that thing out of the middle, the way those rooms live are dramatically better. Uh, on many occasions so we have removed full fireplaces just because they're in the middle of everything important um, so I w- if you're going to go to that extent I might consider pulling the thing all the way down you know below the first floor in the main house and then you have responsibility as well are there any beams being held up by this masonry you know column going through the middle of the you know on and on yeah, and on it goes yeah. so but the point is is you bring your chimney down far enough inside your attic to where then basically you just drop a block over the top of it kind of a cap and then the mason just kind of bricks over the top of it so you don't get critters living in there and you're down far enough inside the attic that the yeah well i was figuring you. you know all the way down to the joist and then, yeah that'd be you know, even better that's even so. but if you're going down to the joist then i'm going to start challenging it's like wow you just spent half your money and you're not getting any square feet what if you go all the way down to the first floor below the joist what do you get on the main floor and the second floor for extra space which then is flow connectivity you know and in this in these days you know social you know awareness and seeing each other you it 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 changes that that's one of the i'd say a third of the time we pull out fireplaces they're just in the wrong place well, this is on an outside wall, so it's not it's not in you know. In other words, yeah. I could put something over the face of the fire uh, fireplace, sure. and it'd be the same depth as the wall yeah. on the unless inside. Unless you have a so unless you have a killer thing view. Standing would be the mantle, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can do that, and it's done quite often. And frankly, we cover brick fireplaces that are full brick floor to ceiling. We'll cover them up halfway with drywall just to kind of you know tune down the power of that stone just quiet it a little bit yeah from a, yeah well i don't know if i was thinking about doing something like that is there a way to kind of get a 
a consultation with somebody like Rich Oris or not? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And he's, you know, that's the kind of person that knows a little bit about moisture and structure and codes yeah. and, you know, what it takes to carry the brick out. You know, he'll walk in and look at that. You know, it's one of our consultants at Mosby Building Arts, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and, and I think he's on the air right now at a different station. So, frankly, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's my Your buddy. Your competition, huh? Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. So, anyway, yeah, Rich well, that is... That kind of gives me some uh, ideas. So, I yeah. appreciate your time, Scott. And it's free, so, you know, it's an easy, easy question, Don. Okay. Thank you now. Take care. Bye now. Home Improvement, let's see what's cooking here and uh, visit with my friend Mark. Hey, Mark, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Hi, Scott. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question. I've got a master bath that I'm going to redo for a handicap. And I want to put in a rolling shower, and I'm kind of lost at what's the best type of drain to have put in and... Other material as far as uh, surroundings and stuff to, to use in that area. Uh, are you on the first floor or the second floor in this bathroom? Uh, it's a first floor. It's a ranch. It has a basement underneath. Sweet. Perfect. Basically, your framing drops down. Uh, you drop the floor of that uh, fireplace or of that of the drain for the shower because a zero entrance. The same thing for those of you listening. A zero entry swimming pool. Basically, you just walk from the deck right into the water. So it is with a full accessibility shower. Uh, you just have to drop the structure down and then get your shower base in there. I love them. They're the only way to go. Uh, they are uh, timeless. Um, they're a higher value um, in terms of going forward because of the aging of America. Uh, I love it. I like porcelain tile. We try to stay away from marbles, uh, granites, but whatever material, there's some beautiful materials um, that are just so porous that they can hold moisture. And in the middle part of the country where we are here, you know, you can grow some mold and mildew in it. So I, I love porcelain for surfaces. Um, anyway, so that's the way way to go but i i love zero entry full accessible showers okay and, and as far as like remodeling the, we're going to do a full remodel in there in yeah. there for the you know there's right now there's a garden tub we want to take out and put that there and move some mm-hmm. other stuff around is that a, something a general contractor can handle or sir what's the best type of person to look for to do this well, I'm going to toot my own horn here because it's a little bit of a lot. Uh, you need a little bit of accessibility knowledge. You need a little bit of aesthetic on, you know, how do you make this wheelchair accessible shower attractive? Uh, so anyway, you need uh, good designers. Uh, certainly you need the construction crew to be attuned to what that all means and the consequences of that. Uh, you know, personally, that's why we at Mosby Building Arts are built that way because I want all voices present in that conversation, debate, or sibling fight if you will i want everybody equal and duke it out until we come up with the but anyway so frankly um, many contractors are very good at this they will have a designer that they work with closely just make sure that they are uh, trained there are a couple of things there's a, a certified aging in place professional cap caps certified aging in place specialist that's an, a national association of home, home builders certification um, okay. and then there's a, a one by uh, anyway just make sure they're trained and certified to know what they're doing it's not it doesn't make them an expert expert, but it does mean they've been to school, a test, and you have some reasonable ability to re- rely on what they're doing. So basically, if, if say I called your place, you mm-hmm. 
use would come out and take a look at it and we'd go over it. Is that is that Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, and even even though um, basically we have a whole bunch of these guys in the office, we are a full architectural firm inside of a construction company just for this reason. Because if we don't get to vote up front, you know, sometimes people say, well, we want marble in this uh, flower, you know, shower floor. It's like that is just not, you know, there's no warranty that could go with that, you know. Right. And then there are some kinds of marble that are quite suitable for that. They're just not porous like others. So there are marbles that can do this, but you really need it. product knowledge, design, uh, aesthetics, resale, uh, how big you are, you know, how small you are, size of the door, door yes, door no, handheld, um, all of that stuff. Grab bars, you know, do they have to look like they're institutional and duck? No. So again, anyway, it's a passion of mine. And, you know, at 67 years old, it, it even is, a, you know, kind of an American right to mobility right. that we all share. Okay. I think you answered my questions. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, sorry I got on my stump there. I get going there, Mark. No, that's good. All, <laughs> All right. Take Thanks, care. Scott. Bye. Bye now. And again, it, that uh, when you get into, uh, and I, it, we, uh, certified aging in place special caps, there's been incredible pushback from the community against that term because it's not aging. I mean, what if you're four feet tall? How, you know, how do you adjust the shower head? Is there a height? What's the standard height of a, a light switch? And four feet tall could be an adult or a child, either way. What if you're on a walker? What if you're in a wheelchair? What if you're on a three-point cane? You know, all of those things, everybody has a right. And, and if you're the resident of the house doing these internal changes, it's also likely to um, assume your friends are going to be of the same mobility as you. So, you know, now you have handrail issues, lighting issues, slope, uh, uh, ramp issues. Out. So anyway, my point is, is this is way more than aging uh, because so many people age, you know, into the boomer thing. Anyway, uh, I'll get off my stump now. Uh, uh, we've got a little break now here on KMOX. I'll be right back after this. All right, wrapping up Hour 2 here, University of Camwex, Scott Mosby at your service. This is the Helitech Home Improvement Show on Camwex. Let's see what's cooking with Gary. Hey, Gary, good afternoon. Welcome to Camwex. How can I help, sir? Yeah, Scott, I moved into a home out in Bowen about seven years ago. The home is 35 years old, and I have a leak in the second floor uh, a bathroom sink. Uh, I looked underneath, and there are two oblong uh, chrome uh, on and off valves for hot and cold. When I tried to move them, they won't budge, and I have a feeling they haven't been moved for 35 years. (laughs) I I, I don't know what to do. Obviously, anything I do, I'm sure I need to turn off the water to the entire house before I start fooling with it. But what's the best way to pry those suckers loose? Uh, call a plumber and replace them because it, it, here's the, the here's the dance. You put a whole bunch. You can spray vinegar on it and try and loosen them up because basically they are limed in place, which is another place, another way to say there's a thin layer of concrete lining those shutoffs. And at 35 years, if they haven't moved, even if you do turn them off, those rubber washers inside are just going to crumble when you get it. So you're not even going to get the water off after you do it. All that stuff's going to flow into your faucets. And you have faucet problems. So my advice 
says if they if they're that tight, just uh, call a plumber, have those stops replaced, and then explore that leak at that time because uh, you know the only thing you can turn is around the three eighths inch tube, the little nut to tighten that just a little bit. Generally, I just get in there with my fingers and look for something damp. But if it's back inside the the wall, uh, usually it's above your pay grade anyway. Okay, I appreciate the help. I'll call a plumber. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, because the issue is you're heading for trouble, then you call the plumber. Why don't you just let the plumber get into trouble, and then he can fix it? <laughs> okay. Thank you, That's Scott. kind of a crude way to describe the dance. Okay, good luck, Gary. <laughs> All right. Let's see what's happening with my friend Darlene. Hey, Darlene, Scott here. How can I help this afternoon? Hello, Darlene. Are you there with me? Did I wake yes, you up? Yes, I am. Yes, yes I am. We would like to know if you can put a small oscillating fan in front of a gas fireplace to spread the heat. You betcha. Absolutely, 100% yes. No risk. Versus putting in a blower. uh, Well, you can actually turn. The issue is uh, the fan will move around the air that's already inside the room. That's fine. No issue there. Uh, the issue is when you have, it, like, the furnace blower. Uh, I like to run the furnace blower, but when you have the return air underserved, sometimes it'll suck the carbon monoxide or the flu- fumes down the chimney. But a little oscillating fan, any little fan that's inside the house, virtually any kind, ceiling fan, oscillating fan, uh, the only thing that will change that is if you put a box fan in a window, blowing in or out will affect with that affect your chimney that's all okay thank you very much and you'll find out it really evens out the heat nicely <laughs> very good we good just question no <laughs> all right darlene thanks for the call okay all right and let's uh see if we've got time here for bill hey bill scott mosby here uh can you make it quick sir how can i help i got a quick one for you scott yeah uh about a month or so i had my house painted yeah it's, uh, frame house with a brick front on one side uh-huh. and uh it's a it's painted a light gray with a gray uh roof and i don't like the color of the brown bricks and how they uh, don't go with the color yeah. what i propose doing is uh putting a i think it's called a german schmear uh-huh. on the bricks i don't know how much difference that is than a white wash or a lime wash or if that's a, a mortar base that you use for that or if it's paint but my painter wouldn't do it uh, he said yeah. if you put mortar on it then it's the climate here it'll crack and peel and, and, and come out yeah I, how I, would that be done in this area uh brick mason so you're going to a brick layer or a plaster contractor primarily there are paint applications that are kind of like that they don't really work you really have to go to them to the mortar guys the bricklayer stonemason uh some kind of skill set like that that's the only way to get into it bill all right hey thanks uh, for tuning in uh i'll be back next week uh stay tuned on camwax and afternoon of experts right here we've got lots of things happening on university of camwax all day long